Welcome everyone to this week's edition of Bombercast for 2023, the post West Coast Eagles win edition. I'm your regular co-host, The Grizz, uh, and joining me today is two other posters on the board, which is fantastic. We've got regular co-host Bonser back for this week. How are you, Bons? Yeah, good. I'm not sure how much of a regular co-host you can call me this year, but um, I'm, I'm back and and I'm I'm not infected with a, a disease like I have been most weeks this year. <laughs> That's right. It's that time of year, isn't it? Sickness is just hitting everywhere. And a man who might as well be a regular co-host of this podcast, he's basically a regular. We love having him on. He's also the co-host of his own podcast, Don the Stat, which comes out every Thursday afternoon, I think, every Thursday night. Um, and he's also uh, the podcaster of Creator of Endless Summers, uh, Test Cricket History of Australia. Kip Tastic, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Thanks for that great introduction. It's great to be back in the at the place that started it all. I think coming on a couple of times a year just sort of brings me back to where it all started. So thanks for having me back. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you. And it's always a pleasure to have people uh, and guests on after a win, which was what we had on the weekend. The first time we've beaten West Coast in Perth for a while. They tend to have a number over there. The Bombers 9-14-12-96 uh, beat the West Coast Eagles 6-10-46. Probably not a game you're going to write home about in terms of its quality or watchability, but any 50-point win over the Eagles in Perth is a good one for me. Bont, we'll start with you. And my general question is, considering the quality of the opposition and the way it was played, what exactly can we take away from that game? Well, it's interesting because, yeah, it wasn't a great game to watch, I suppose, um, although I certainly enjoyed it because, yeah, 50-point wins were always nice. But I still think we take a fair bit out of it to be honest if you, th- if you think about it you know west coast got belted last week so the media was all over them they had a few players come back which you know also it leads to the experience so they were a little bit more battle weary or battle hardened i suppose is the better term than they were against hawthorne obviously you know over in perth regardless of where they are they're always a, a bit of a different different kettle of fish to to when they have to travel um so yeah i, I look at that and go you know Essendon in the last decade probably drops that it's it's it was the game that was set up perfectly for us to lose and we won every quarter we it was very workmanlike performance and as a result i think uh yeah i, I probably take more out of it than most but um as you said 50 point wins always nice and it just improves our, our record in perth which probably hasn't been great yeah i i agree with you i think there's been a lot of commentary uh, amongst the fan community after the game that just sort of move on but you know, a few things really stuck out to me about how we went about it. As you as you said, Bonser, you know, West Coast had a lot more of their experienced players back in. I actually came in with a pretty decent plan to try and restrict our game. And, you know, playing, playing that man-on-man defense meant it was very difficult to find loose players to move the ball on quickly, which is often how we want to move the ball from the back half. But what was really pleasing for me was that given that that's what West Coast were trying to do, we adjusted. I think a lot of people say, you know, going in, oh, this is the sort of game Essendon would have dropped. I don't necessarily think we would have dropped that game, but I think if we were just trying to play our way, as the past couple of coaches have tried to do, we might have eked out a 10-point win at best. What really pleased me was we were really focused, really disciplined. You know, we were prepared to move the ball slowly, find breaks in the West Coast defence, and just the quality of our players meant that, as you said, we, we won every quarter. We won each quarter by at least two goals. And when you do that across four quarters, you end up with a 50-point win. And as, you know, we sort of say, you, you take that in Perth every day. I think the, mo- the thing I most take out of that is it gives a really positive 
view of what the mindset of the players are in games like this, that they've, they've gone over, they've done the job, they've adjusted and been prepared to play in a different way than they want to play in order to get the job done. So that gives me a lot of confidence moving forward that they're going to continue in that frame of mind. It's interesting because uh, we we got the jump early, I think, because we were winning the clearances. And like you said, Kip, when you're playing a, a heavy man-on-man defense, which your Eagles were, if you're getting pumped in the clearances, I think we were or 14-4 up or something in that stat late in the third quarter, early in the second quarter, sorry. You, you can tend to catch defenders out, um, which is good. But I, I think once they went man-on-man, our ability to move the ball around, the, the high uncontested marking game, I think both teams were 32 more cont- uncontested marks on the night than they were for the season average, which probably indicates the, the style of the game. Both teams were just trying to avoid turnover as much as they could, and both teams were under their sort of average their total turnovers were less than the average for the season. So it just shows both teams were trying to avoid damage, but a quality took over in the end. One thing I, I really liked from the the game, and it sort of come out over the, the course of the week, how good this guy is, is Nick Martin. So I thought he was a leading disposal getter. His ability to get those uncontested marks and use the ball through the middle of the field um, as a link-up man was really important. So he's not your conventional winger like Melbourne used theirs where they just hold width all the time. He does come inboard and create options through the middle of the field, which I think is really helpful. I think Champion Data had him as the number one ranked wingman in the competition, according to their statistics this year. And you, know, you can argue about how Champion Data calculate that. But it just goes to show that the guy that Bonter and I were nicknaming Crichton last year, it turns out... <laughs> Might be one of the the best value pickups I can think of of the last you know at least five to six years, Kit. Absolutely, and you mentioned a really good thing about how willing he is to to look in board, and that really complements our game style where we're trying to control the corridor as much as possible, both on defense and then be able to turn that around on to make make it an offensive weapon. It's so having a player like him with with such good foot skills and such good vision means that he can pick apart those. Uh, zone defenses that the teams are trying to set up when we get the ball on turnover. And, you know, just building on that, we've we've ended up now with quite a few good users through that middle of the ground. So you mentioned Martin, obviously Merritt, and then Perkins getting up uh, from half forward and being that really uh, precise kick that puts players into dangerous positions. So we've got quite a few weapons by foot now that can really do a lot of damage. And, and as you say, Martin is one of those. I think there's still a lot of development in him. I I see a potential for someone who could go inside. It was mentioned somewhere else and it forgot exactly where I heard this, but someone compared him to Jordan Dawson at Adelaide and what he's been able to do since going into the middle. And I agree with the person who said that, that that's a potential for him going forward. I think the other pretty pleasing thing about Martin is he was actually pretty good against Richmond as well. So it's not like it's just yep. a sort of jack out of the box performance and and something you sort of take from a Martin is that you know and, and Jai Caldwell did it last week when, when you have these blokes like Shield and, and Parrish and on, the, on sitting out you get these blokes like Martin and Caldwell who are able to have you know career highs and touches because they're actually able to get more around the ball and they're actually able to use it more so it's, it, it sort of exposes them and it just means that you know we, we start building that depth so that you know when they do come back if Shield or Parrish or or even you know merit on a wing doesn't fire we've still got blokes that we can actually just throw in there into the coal face and actually be be more confident that they're going to be able to step up um and, and cover any any down down games those guys have and bond what other sort of positives did you take out of the match outside of you know of what we've just talked about 
Yeah, so the one that stood out for me was was I was pretty pleased with how we were with ball in hand in our back 50. So if you look at the Richmond game the week before, you know, Joe Caldwell had that left foot snap that went sort of 20 metres on the ground and got kicked straight back over his head. McGrath had the handball in the goal square, which missed the target, and Rioli slammed it through. And then, you know, Hind tried to switch to switch to McGrath and Jack Rewalt spoiled it. And Richmond, again, got another goal in, in there. You know, you look at that and go, well, three, three direct turnovers in our back 50 gave up three goals against Richmond. And... You know, West Coast, as, as you said earlier, Grizz, we're, we're playing sort of, or it might have been UKIP, so we're playing that man-on-man sort of football. So it was a little bit different in terms of pressure, but it, it's still good, I think, to see that something that we really struggled with against Richmond, we then, I think, worked on probably during the week. I reckon Brad Scott would have said something about it. And, and as a result, the players looked a little bit more composed. They, they just seemed to take that extra heartbeat to, to really work out what their options were, as opposed to the week before when, when we got it deep, we were sort of panicking and just thumping it out of there or, or trying to thump it out of there. And, you know, when, you, when you're playing at AFL level, you can't just thump the ball, especially poor old Jai Corval, whose left foot's not great. <laughs> he gets onto that. I mean, the thing was, he had time with that kick. Oh, I watched it again not recently. He had time to swing on his right. And he actually had another moment deep in, in the in our back line on um, Saturday night where he almost went to pull the trigger on the left and went, oh, actually, I've got some time here and, and swung back onto the right and, and cleared it away. So, you know, stuff like that, I think, is really good to see week to week that if we make those errors against Richmond, well, then the next week we've cleaned it up and, and as a result, you know, it, it looks much better, um, albeit against the, the 18th best team in the, in the comp at the moment. Yeah, I think to be fair, just on that, the Richmond forward pressure was probably a lot greater than the West Coast forward pressure. So, you know, a lot of those areas in the Richmond game probably come from that perceived pressure of a Richmond side that is a lot better at that forward pressure game. Uh, the thing that, a couple of things that really stood out to me um, that I continue to like is just that Langford remains an absolute weapon up forward. It's, you know, he, he did actually miss a couple of shots that I thought he would have kicked normally, but how good is it to have someone who can, you know, take a mark on 50 and then wheel around, making taking advantage of the new stand rule and just pop it through and, and you're pretty confident when they do that. There's a few players like that at the moment. So obviously Stringer and then Perkins has also shown that he can do it. And then speaking of Stringer, what I've really pleased about him, and it's it's been highlighted a few times, but the selfless roles that he's been playing this year, he hasn't always had to be the man and the one kicking goals. I think we've set a field out. He's really stepped up as that big bullocking midfielder in the center bounces and you know he hasn't necessarily been having you know statistically outstanding games there but what he's doing is creating space for the younger midfielders that have been running through there like Hobbs and Caldwell to to actually get some space and, and get some clearances there so I think he deserves a lot of credit for the role that he's been playing even though it's not always showing for him on the stat sheet yeah, it's interesting because he's playing a very similar role to what he did in 2021, which is this guy that started out at center bounces and charged forward. But his roles changed, like you said, keeping that. He, he's sort of having to perform a much more selfless role around the midfield a bit more often. So he's not as far forward as he normally is because he's basically playing as this half forward that pushes up to provide physical presence around a clearance and then push forward again. And, you know, historically he hasn't always been fit enough to play that, but he's been, you know, back for what, five, six weeks now. He's probably built the match fitness in to, to get to that point. And whilst he's not the, the forward presence he's been lately, uh, uh, so when I say lately, I mean, last few years, it, it's certainly with set field out a role we need because even Hobbs and Caldwell, as much as they've shown that they're willing to mix it physically, they're still not big and they're not the the guys that can take body. A, you know, it will be, 
you know, Crips in a couple of weeks, but those sorts of guys out of stoppage and, you know, Crips has shown, we're not going too deep into the Carlton podcast, but Crips has shown if you put someone that's talented next to him, he's not always going to be able to stop them defensively. But I on Langford, it's interesting because there's plenty of posters on this board. And Bonson and I have had this discussion multiple times on our podcast that are pulling the hairs out going, he should have been forward this whole time. What are we doing? He's always been probably our best set shot and you know, he missed a few on the weekend, but I think he's on 20 goals for the year. Well, 19, 19, 20 goals for the year, which would be our leading goal kicker. And considering he started the first, what, fortnight as a defender, <laughs> it's a pretty good effort. And uh, it, it's, yeah, someone with his skill set forward, I think just gives us so much more flexibility to play a Durham and a Martin on a wing and really suit their strengths as well. Yeah, I think, you're right. He he he's our leading goal kicker. It's it's interesting because um, I agree with you, you in that Stringer hasn't actually been as forward prominently as as probably in the past for us. But he's still he's still our second leading goal scorer on sixteen. <laughs> so it, it's but I mean you look at that. I think he kicked four goals six or something ridiculous like that against GWS, and he might have bagged four in another game. So you know. He, He's had those couple of games where he's probably been that offensive weapon because we've left him close to goal, but it has been good, I think. And the other thing I like about Stringer is that, as you guys have touched on, is he doesn't necessarily need to have the ball in hand to be influential now. You know, when he did that period towards the back end of, of 2021, it was when he was getting that, you know, 25 touches a game, and, and that's when he was sort of that dominant best player in the comp type style player. And, and he's not that... He's not the best player in the comp at the moment, obviously, but he's still able to throw his body in there. And it just it just certainly makes it a lot better, I think, as you guys said, for the rest of the midfielders to have someone big like him to stand up. And um, the only problem is, obviously, now he's 28, 29 years old, so you've got to find someone to replace him sooner rather than later. And and good luck finding another Jake Stringer type um, to pick up as cheaply as we did from the Bulldogs when we got him. We'll wrap up our match review just in a sec, but before we do... I. You know, there's probably not too many negatives we can take out of a 50-point win, but I might start with you here, Bonts. Was there anything out of the game that concerned you or that you weren't totally happy with uh, coming into this week's game against North Melbourne? It, it, it's interesting because there was a couple of things I did. Well, it's a couple of things that I didn't like on the night. Zerk Thatcher's performance was one of them. I thought he was oh, it was pretty average on the night. I thought he got out, outplayed. But watching the replay back, it's it's interesting to see the four goals that you know Oscar Allen kicked. The last one, obviously, Heppel just you know he was never going to outmark Allen. So I reckon he just went, "I'm going to make you earn this one." So you know you, you can't really count that against Zerk. The Joe the Goose, which was his second goal again. You know, I, I'm watching the replay. It's funny because Zerk's probably 20 metres in front of him running back towards goal. And Alan's just sort of jogging. And he sort of realised that Zerk was going to be three on one. And all of a sudden, Alan goes, oh, I'll sprint here. He's done the classic forward sprint back towards goal, which, you know, again, you count that against Zerk, it's it's pretty hard to. And and even his first goal, the first goal he sort of kicked, he got this brilliant 20-metre bull or 30-metre bullet that Robert Harvey would have been proud of. It was... It was interesting because Ridley was probably about half a metre off the trajectory and he didn't have enough time to get across to, to put a fist in. So you sort of look at that and you go, well, you know, Alan's kicked four. He did probably tail Zerk up a little bit. Was it as bad as it seemed on the night? I, I don't think it was. I, there was quite a few of us who, who in the game day three who weren't happy with it. But, you know, I, I didn't like his game at the time. But upon reflection, it's, it's probably a bit was a good learning curve for him a little bit. Um, but the one thing I didn't really like, and it wasn't actually an Essendon thing, it was... Tom Barras. Now, when when uh, we got that that we, we got out out in the open, and you know Merritt kicked it long to Guelphie, and then Guelphie tapped it to Draper, and Draper hand, handballed it to Langford for our own Joe, Joe the Goose goal. 
one of the things I didn't like was was Guelfi's dive to tap it, and as soon as he's gone, sort of gone to ground, Barras has come in with the with with, with the uh, shoulder. He's he's dived sort of into, and he, he's pretty lucky that Guelfi sort of saw him coming because Guelfi saw him coming and sort of held himself back. And if Guelfi hadn't really seen him coming, he probably would just dive straight in and, and taken him head high and run straight through him. And it's a pretty it's a pretty cheap shot to take on on the footy field. And and you, you can't. I know there's there's no way the AFL can st- sort of rule this because you can't pick a bloke out and say, oh, well, you, if, you, if you'd if you hit him, I know there's the potential for injury. They, they ping now with these sling tackles, but this one's sort of a different class. But at the same time, it's just not what we really want to see in the game. I, I don't think, you know, a bloke's on the ground, he's, he's tapped the ball on, you're not going to get to the contest. There's no need to try and clean him up. It's it's just, it's it's a pretty cheap shot. And I was pretty surprised to come from, see it coming from a bloke like Tom Barras, who, you know, from, from what I can tell, is, is usually a pretty clean player. It's interesting. I didn't notice it on the night. You mentioned it when we were discussing the pod sort of beforehand, and I, I didn't, I couldn't record, so I had to go back and watch it. And I think it's just one of those things when you're sick of your team getting pumped by a hundred points every week that you just do sort of stupid stuff like that. You're right. You probably is lucky that Guelphie saw him coming because the last thing West Coast need with their injury list is Barris missing with a suspension. <laughs> um, <laughs> could you imagine Adam Simpson's response to that? But um, I'll I'll move back to what you said about Zerk. I I tend to think that Oscar Allen was the worst matchup for him in terms of the style of player. So Zerk isn't a powerful athlete. He's more of a rangy type of guy. He's deceptively quick in the lead, but he's not going to catch guys over the first 20 metres. And Oscar Allen is exactly that. And so I think it was probably a poor matchup. I think the the coaching staff didn't move fast enough or at all, I think, in putting Laverde on him. I think that would have been a much more natural matchup um, for Allen. Um, but, yeah, I, you're right. It will be a learning curve, I think, for Zerk. We'll get Kip's view on that in a second. But for me, the, the big negative out of the weekend was sort of our key position forward output. And we'll we'll touch on Nick Bryan in a minute. So I won't go too deeply into that at this stage. But... Just basically zero goals to out of Draper, uh, out of, sorry, Brian and Wiedemann. I think Draper kicked one goal one. So you're batting at one goal three between your three tools, all the three guys rotating through his tools through your forward line. It's, you know, we've been able to cover, we've been able to cover, you know, injuries in the midfield, injuries in defense. But the one sort of issue to highlight for me this year has been sort of our really inconsistent output from our key position forwards. You know, Phillips had one good game against Melbourne and disappeared, but Peter Wright can't get back quick enough, I don't think. Yeah. I'm not overly concerned. Wiedemann's had a few good weeks. Obviously, he didn't probably perform at the same level against West Coast. So you just take one game after four or five good ones. I'm not overly concerned about that. And then, you know, despite the fact we haven't had dominant key position forwards this year, we're still six for points four. Um, and as you mentioned, we're missing our number one in right. You know, I think we'll probably get to it, but they've just in the last couple of hours tried to rectify that forward depth issue through the mid-season draft. Uh, but when we're still scoring as effectively as we are without Peter Wright, without, you know, huge output for key forwards, then I'm not overly concerned. I mean, you just have to look at uh, the second time I brought it up, even though it's not the week for it but look at Carlton you know they've got Kerno and ostensibly Harry Mackay and you know they, they're struggling so you know I'd much rather be in our shoes than their shoes at the moment good point was there anything before we move on to take it or leave it kit that you want to raise that concerned you out of the game look it's again something's been said but the commentary that was oh. that was ass oh that was horrendous 
Oh boy, uh, uh, you didn't think it was too bad in the game day thread, though. Chris, is that right? Yeah. Uh not too bad. But then again, I watched it back, and maybe it was because people talked about how bad it was had a, had an effect on it. But when I watch the game, I get really engrossed in it. I don't really pay attention to the commentary. Back when you relax because you know what the score is. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, but I, I wonder how much of it was. Like I said, it wasn't a great game for the neutral observer. How much it was it just them trying to generate interest? But yeah, you would have thought West Coast were you know five points down for the entirety of the game at that point, yeah. or that um, it was some tactical masterstroke by Adam Simpson by playing man on man, which was yeah. <laughs> the funniest thing. I'm not sure how across the NRL you are, but. Uh, yep. A few years ago when the Storm and Panthers played in that grand final and, and oh, Phil Gould, Jesus. the Storm were, Storm were flogging the Panthers <laughs> and Phil Gould was all about how good the Panthers were playing. The Panth- it, it oh, felt- they're, they're a chance at half. They're, they're coming. Was, or, 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 no, he said, no, he said they were on top oh. at half time and I think I think they were three tries down, which Something was like unbelievable. That. It was a bit like Ben Dixon saying that um, West Coast are in Essendon's head and Essendon had just gone five goals up or something like that. Yeah, I, I made one of my rare ventures onto onto Twitter that time, Kip, when uh, Phil Gould did that to, to give Phil Gould a spray, and I'm now blocked by Phil on on Twitter. So he's a seri- <laughs> he, he's he's the Damien Barrett of the NRL world when it comes to blocking people on Twitter. But Someone else that's blocked me on Twitter, but you know. yeah, <laughs> like I'm I'm a big NRL fan. I don't follow the Storm. I follow a Sydney-based team, but not Penrith. And um, yeah, even I was like, "Oh, Phil, come on, mate, <laughs> easy on." Um, we'll, we'll move now. We'll wrap up this week and sort of the the on field issues with a, a game I like to play uh, called "Take It or Leave It," which is when Kit Bonter and I will both make a statement, and the other two have to tell them whether they uh, are going to take it or leave it, or agree with it and disagree with it. Kip, as uh, our special guest, I'll give you the new ball. What is your "Take It or Leave It"? All right, Bonser and Grizz, take it or leave it. Nick Bryan should seriously consider whether his future is at Essendon. I, yeah, I agree with it. But I think the problem is, for me, is, is I actually like Nick Bryan. So I actually didn't think he, uh, he, he, he's copped a bit of heat for his game on Saturday. And I, and I haven't, and I said on the board today, and I actually was going to do it, but I haven't looked at it. At the time when he got subbed off, statistically, he actually wasn't that far behind Draper. So, you know, I mean, I know Draper does these little flashy things every now and then, like the the, the outside of the boot point that he kicked against Richmond and, or or he might have even done on Saturday night when he did it. But, you know, he does these flashy things that people remember. But I think I've said to you before, Grizz, that I think his flash is a little bit more than what his substance is and, and people get sucked into it. Whereas, you know, Brian doesn't really have that, that, that sort of flashy aspect to him. He, he had some great tap outs on Saturday night. There was one there, he tapped straight down the throat of, of Perkins. Um, unfortunately, Perkins got tackled about a step after he hit it straight down his throat. But, you know, it was it was that sort of play that I was like, geez, if Perkins had got actually got through that tackle and got the clearance, everyone would be raving about it because it'd be the, the future that we're seeing. So I, th- I, I think... If he gets dropped again, he should absolutely be looking somewhere else because I just don't think we're going to, you know, if, if we're not playing him now, then we're probably never going to play him, especially against North Melbourne because, you know, it was a bit of this debate today about whether you play him or Phillips. You know, oh, we've got to play Phillips because we're trying to win. You know, we're playing yeah, we're playing North Melbourne. Let's be honest. If, if the difference between us winning and losing is Brian and Phillips, we're in a lot bigger trouble than we probably realise. So I think if he gets dropped and, and can't, Staying aside based on what he showed on Saturday night, then absolutely you need to start looking elsewhere because we're clearly just not gonna not gonna use him as the as the second option to um Sam Draper. 
Yeah, I'll take it in the sense that I think he will, not that I want him to or think he should, or that I think that I want him to or I would like him to. I'll push back just from what Bond said about, you know, them not really statistically being a difference between Draper and Brian when he went off. Draper had, I think, three or four contested marks of the game. I don't think Brian had one, or if he did, I missed it. So that's why... I think Brian at the moment is behind Draper. Is Draper's just physically more developed? But I, I just think I, I've, I've had this opinion for a while that we're not going to get the best out of both of them in the same team. For them both to be the best player, the players are going to be, it's probably going to be as number one rucks on different teams because I don't think either of them have the forward craft to be, you know, thirty percent forward, seventy uh, percent forward, thirty percent ruck, and that's what the good ruck combinations are. You look at. Gorn and Grundy at Melbourne. Gorn's about 30 to 40% ruck, uh, forward at the moment. So you're not going to get 50-50 genuine ruck combinations anymore. And I think Draper's probably just more entrenched as a senior ruckman. And, and the reality is it's how the AFL works nowadays. You know, you draft a ruckman, you develop him, and then he gets picked off at about year four or five because another team can offer them first-team opportunities. And it's just how it's worked. Now, historically, you look at the last 25 years, we've sort of drafted our own Ruckman. You go, you know, Barn to the left and then came back again. And then Alessio, Hill, Bell Chambers, Ryder, now Draper and Brian. We tend to pick and develop our own Ruckman. So I don't think we would be fearful of letting him go. But, you know, I would suspect that if he doesn't play the majority of games of the rest of the year, he will look to leave. But if he doesn't play the rest of the year, you know, what sort of market is there going to be for him? I, I don't know. But... He'll certainly, I think Gold Coast were interested this time last year or two years ago, and they were pretty heavily into him. Um, so there'll be suitors because he's dominating the VFL. His other suitor actually was also St Kilda. They offered him a four-year deal, and that would have been, or was that Draper? That was Draper. That was, that was Draper, was... which which would have been disaster for St Kilda because Marshall and Draper would have the same problems that you've just alluded to with, with Brian and Draper. Yeah, I think Marshall's probably a better forward than both. Brian and Draper. Um, I think he has shown more forward craft, but he's generally better at number one ruck. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll take the the second ball um, or the second over, if you will, to use cricketing parlance. Take it or leave it, guys. A tipper timeout is required. I'm going to leave that Ooh. for the moment. Uh, yes, he's not playing at the level that he has in the past, but if you look at the way we've structured up, we've gone with three small forwards recently. So if you look at the West Coast game, we had Menzi, Tipper and Guelphie. And then also had Snelling there playing as a, you know, running through the midfield a bit, but also in that forward line. So if you're wanting to keep that structure, you're picking either Wanganine or Davey, neither of which I think will be an upgrade at this stage. I know Davey's done some nice things, but he's really in and out of games. We're not getting as much out of Tipper as we want, but I think we give him time to persist at least till the bye to give him an opportunity to work his way into form. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with that <laughs> and say absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree that the, the the tipper tipper rest is needed against Richmond. He, you know, he, he didn't hit the scoreboard against Richmond and disposals wise, I suppose you could argue again against Richmond. He wasn't great, but he did he did have a lot of defensive pressure and I think he he, he laid a fair, a fair number of tackles. But but Saturday night, he just looked like the mind knew what he wanted to do, but the body just isn't quite able to do it. And I, I don't know how he goes about changing that uh we do know that you know once a once a player once some players sort of hit that that 30 year old the cliff comes very quickly and he has only just recently turned 30 only a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago now um so maybe the cliff is starting to come but yeah i just thought on saturday night he just the body just did not look like it could keep up with what his mind wanted to do and you know that drop 
shot on goal when he could have in, in the past but just nailed that on his left was a little bit disappointing to see. But um, I mean, at the same time, if he keeps going, because as you said, Kip, Davey and, and Wanganine aren't necessarily the best to see. So, you know, we, we can keep him, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'd take that. And and my take it or leave it is that, you know, Nick Hind is, is a shadow of his former self. And at the moment, he's probably lucky to be in the best 22 if we're looking to develop someone like a, a, a you know, Massimo D'Ambrosio um, off the halfback flank. We'd be better put the time into him rather than, than the persist with Hind. Yeah, I, I think there's probably two take it or take it or leave it there. I'll address the, the, the primary one, which is Nick Hind is a shadow of his former self. I think he's certainly not the form he was in in 2021 when he first crossed over. I, I think part of that is role, though. I think in 2021, the whole team had this license to just attack, free wheel, go for it. Um, we'll worry about defense later. And that sort of really played to his strengths. I think he's playing a role where he's meant to be a bit more accountable. I've been quite vocal during game day threads. So I think some of his decision-making decisions i suppose under pressure have been really poor when he's in tight he can make some some really poor decisions with the ball but in any sense i don't think he's a shadow of his form himself but i think he's certainly blunted but i would suspect that's more scott requiring a more accountable role of his defenders yeah i agree i think also the move of mcgrath back also takes away some of the need for him to play that you know attacking role so in 2021 obviously he was replacing Saad in his, and McKenna in that role. And he's sort of fulfilling both roles. I don't think Redmond quite had as good a season in 21 as he has the last couple of seasons. So he was picking up a lot more of the slack there. I agree with a lot what you said there, uh, Grizz. I, I'm in the same boat as you. Well, we'll move on to off-field happenings of this week. And we'll we'll qu- quickly run through that um, before we get to uh, a preview of the North game. The first is... Um, the mid-season draft happened roughly an hour and a half ago from the recording of this podcast. Essendon drafted a young man by the name of Jaden Hunter from the Perth Football Club, uh, 196 centimetre, 93 kilo key forward. Uh, he's kicked 23 goals this year, 11 in his first three games, uh, 12, sorry, in his first three games at reserves level coming off an ACL and 11 in the three games in the seniors since then. I think he kicked five on the weekend when Dodoro's watching him. So I suppose it's nothing like timing your run. Um, but <laughs> interesting pickup because we tend to go the the smaller types that can contribute straight away. Your Menzies, Dembrosios, Durham's, Snellings in the pre-season and uh, mid-season draft. But do you guys know much about Jaden Hunter? What's your what's your thoughts on picking a, a developmental key forward, really? To be playing this week because their key position forwards have been struggling, <laughs> as you said, Chris. I, I mean, I, I, the reality is I don't know anything about him. And yeah. So, yeah, I mean, our key position forwards are obviously a problem. It's interesting, though, because... Now it almost feels now like we've got too many on the list, <laughs> and it's it's weird because and the reason for that is obviously because Harrison Jones and Peter Wright have been injured, and obviously I I just don't see a, a, a side where Wright, Wiedemann, and Jones all play together, and then obviously now I don't see a, see a way where the new guy fits in as a fourth tall forward in our AFL side, but you obviously you need your depth, so that's probably where he's going to slide in. It might make Harrison Jones feel a little bit uneasy, but I don't think I don't think he'll be looking over his shoulder just yet. Look. I agree. I'm the same as you. I've got no idea. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. But <laughs> again, it, it's an area where we've got a few question marks. You know, Wright's probably the only lock that you've got in that role. Wiedemann's showing nice signs. But again, you know, history suggests that he 
he can't maintain that. Uh, Jones, obviously, with his injuries, and then Baldwin seems to have moved back, and, and Voss, you know, after a strong start in the VFL, start to struggle, or that's partly due to the VFL struggles as well. I'm interested to note that he's only gone for a six-month contract, so if it's not working out, it's pretty easy to get off the list. But look, you know, Ed Pascoe is giving him the tick of approval, and I think that's good enough for me. Yeah, well, if yeah, if Ed Padko or EDPS as he's known on the yes, and board is okay with it, then I'm with Kit. <laughs> no argument here. I will defer to that expertise. Um, just a uh, profile Essen yes, Football Club athletic player, 196 centimeters tall, competitive in the air, versatile, can play forward or back. Throw out the stumps, really. Um, can play forward or back. Classic Essendon. Ah, great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's um yeah it, then they're, they're never gonna say oh yeah look 196 I mean not very athletic we can kick a snag oh wing one dimensional they're always gonna say that sort of stuff but and the other thing we'll just briefly touch on um is the injury list so uh some good news Elijah Sartis a uh, man who uh, apparently is being written off at different points in this board um already is due to return uh, to the VFL this week which is probably earlier than expected. Nick Cox obviously got through unscathed. Dylan Shield, Jake Kelly expected to be back for selection this week. The injury list is getting shorter, not longer, which is probably the first time we can say that in 12 weeks, which is good to see. Yeah, any thoughts on the either of you watched Nick Cox's game this weekend uh, or any thoughts on Elijah Sartis? I didn't see his game, but I know they I, they played him back, which is I think you and I have been pretty vocal in the past, Chris, that we we want him to go back because um, or, or or go forward, just just pick one spot, don't leave him on the wing. So if they're going to play him back, that's great. But yeah, knowing Essendon, we may very well end up throwing him forward at some point too, just just because we like to have these these players that can play either end of the ground for unknown reasons. We just can't seem to settle them at one end. So good to see him back. Um, Sardis, another one. Good to be back. Just on the injuries list, interesting. It was, and it was only because I had this, this discussion on the North Board. They were, they, were, they were amazed when I said that Peter White may come back. If he doesn't come back, you know, next week against Carlton, when we have the bye, does he play VFL just to get some touch? Oh, I don't know. It'll be dependent on when he's fit. If if he's fit when the buys on and the VFL's playing, I, I don't think that there's anything to lose by running him out for a half or so. Is there? Just I can just imagine that, uh, how our board will react if he aggravates that shoulder in a VFL. Things are ha- pings are hamstring. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Do the Zach Reed. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, back, yeah. just back on Cox. I'm actually a wing believer. I think he could be something special there. Oh, but you're not welcome on this podcast. No, I, I don't think I'll be getting an invite back. But. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think back back's a good way to get him in. And I think that's where Brad Scott sees him playing his best football. And I think his way back in the side, barring, you know, significant injuries, is through the role Dyson Hebel's playing. You know, as that sort of seventh defender, you know, filling a lot of roles and, and not having heaps of responsibility in a defensive sense, if you, if you get what I'm saying, um, as, a, as a way of getting him in there. But that's probably going to be dependent on... Hebel's form and Hebel's form has been really good. So, you know, if he has to work to get back in the side and, and demonstrate some really good form, then that's going to be really good for us going forward. Chris, get a load of this guy. Not only is he putting Cox in the wing, he's going to shoot our favourite halfback flanker in Hebel. What is going on? Oh, mate. <laughs> Sorry, I've got to screen these guys more, more yeah. closely, clearly. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the, the preview of the North game this week. It's grand final week, or at least for half of this game, at least. Well, lucky for them, they get two grand finals this year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they haven't been... Yeah, they've probably had less success than we have, which is something to say over the last 20 years. But 
Yeah, so it's grand final week. So North Melbourne this week, it's uh, round 12 for us. So yippee, I suppose. Um, North Melbourne, not in as bad a form as you'd think. They basically lost against Sydney because they couldn't count and then were reasonably effective against Collingwood last week. I suppose, what are you guys expecting from this week? Where do you think it'll be won and lost? Kip, we might start with you. I see, I see this game playing out a lot like last year's did. So last year, North were dominant at clearance and North are actually the best stoppage clearance differential side in the competition at the moment. They've actually just jumped ahead of Brisbane who were, when we actually played them, Brisbane were the, were the top side in that. So I think North are going to do quite well in the clearances, especially with Essendon missing Setterfield and Parrish at the very least. Hopefully Shield does come back in. Where I think it'll be one, and like it was one last year, is through Essendon's halfbacks and, and interceptors. So last year, North would win it out of the clearance, they'd kick it forward and our players would be able to intercept and they would get them on turnover. Uh, we'd, we'd score through that because they, they just weren't set up well enough to stop us. And that's how I sort of see the game playing out again this year. We, all, all things being equal, that's that's where I see Essendon's chance of winning being really high. If we match them in the clearance, then I don't think they've got any chance. Yeah, this is this is another game I think people will say that this is a classic Essendon to lose. But as you said, Kip, you know, last year we, we put them to the sword. Um, and I, I think don't think much has changed really. Yeah, North are in a fair, fair bit of strife. Uh, depending on when Clarko comes back, came out today, he's not coming back. I thought he, he might come back this week just to try and get another win over us because he does he does enjoy beating us as, as he did multiple times at Hawthorne. But yeah, it, it's hard to see where North win this outside of the clearances. If, if they don't absolutely dominate clearances, then they're probably going to struggle. Their back six don't provide a hell of a lot of run, especially Aaron Hall, Jack Zebel back there. They, they're not exactly lightning quick athletic players they do get a lot of the ball but you know there's just there's just not much movement um their forward line is, is a one-man show in, in nick larkey but i think we could probably cover him relatively okay i think zerk will bounce back and have a crack there so yeah I, i'm sort of with you kip i outside as long as as long as we we don't get completely obliterated in clearances i think we uh, i think we should be okay i i, I tend to think this is much like the West Coast game in that this is historically the game we lose. I'm growing faith in Scott and his team. He seems to have drilled a way to win these games. We've beaten Hawthorne, GWS, and obviously West Coast last week, all in pretty comprehensive fashion. The the GWS score was close, but it's because we couldn't hit the fat side of a barn that week. So I I think we'll win. It's interesting watching that North Melbourne team, the defence is a shambles at the moment. Ben Mackay is defending like a caravan at the moment, being towed around and not doing much else. So I just, yeah. And uh, Griffin Logue hasn't been much chop as a, as a recruit either. So it'll be interesting to see if Wiedemann and um, Stringer can hopefully have bigger games this week as forwards in terms of the goal kicking. But the the game will be won on turnover. If we can capitalise on theirs and limit ours, I think, I'm just sort of reiterating everything we've just said. I think we'll win. I don't think they've got the class on the outside that we do. Um, and as great as stoppage is, you know, 70% of the score in AFL comes from turnover. So you can't rely purely on stoppage. And um, I think provided we can control the turnover game and Redmond and Ridley can play the games they've been doing recently, um, I think we'll win this. And, and Zerk Thatcher kept Larky 
basically in his back pocket last year. Like, like yeah. he was absolutely towed up by Zerk. So it's probably a good matchup for Zerk to get his confidence back. It's also interesting. I, I and I don't know this because I actually watched the highlights of the game. But last year we had we got two goals out of Harry Jones. We got three goals out of James Stewart. We got two goals out of Pete Wright. And none, neither none of those guys are actually going to end up playing this game. So it is a bit. It, it is sort of contrasting how, how our forward line has looked this year to last year. Another interesting thing about last year's game against North um, was Sheila and Parrish didn't actually play that game either. So you know they weren't there last year, and we, uh, which is obviously why we were getting beaten in the con in the clearances and we, we still managed to, to beat them by 48 points. So yeah. And North, North won't have um, Luke Davies, Uniac, who was a big reason why they were dominant in stoppage in that game last yeah. year as well. So, you know, sort of evens out there. Big game for McGrath on Harry Sheasel. Anything good that happens for North Melbourne at the moment tends to go through George Wardlaw or Harry Sheasel. So I think if, if Andy McGrath can lock him down across half forward, because he's been playing forward a bit more, um, I think we'll be able to stifle their creativity a lot more than we um, sort of were able to, I think, last year from the stoppages. And I really like Luke Wardlaw, but hopefully him and Hobbs can have a good head-to-head. That'd be nice. So tips and margin, guys. We're all tipping Essen by the sounds of it. Um, what are the margins we're going with and, and what's your crazy prediction for this week? Mine last week was that Redmond was going to kick three. He kicked one in the opening two minutes, handed one off in the fourth. I was dirty. Uh, I was not happy. Um, but... Uh, you know, they'll teach a defender for passing it off. So what's the margins and crazy predictions for this week? Oh, look, I'll say Essendon will win by know, 10 goals. We'll, we'll say 10 goals because it's probably about what we should have been the Eagles by. And I'm not too sure North are much better. Um, I'm I'm not, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm not convinced North are trying to win too many games, to be honest. <laughs> um, and, and, I still find it very hard to believe that they couldn't count properly. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, crazy predictions. Uh, let's say Wiedemann will kick seven. I've, I've said on the board that he needs to um, maybe have a bit of goalkeeping practice because the last three weeks he's been pretty iffy in front of goals. Over his career, he's been pretty good, but the last three weeks he's been pretty bad. So, yeah, I'll say Wiedemann will kick seven straight and, yeah, we'll beat, beat him by 10 goals. Uh, I'm not as confident in terms of the margin. I think probably more in the, the five, six goal range. Uh, and my crazy prediction is that Jordan Ridley will break the intercept mark record that Darcy Moore had for a, a brief moment until champion data snatched it away. That'd be like 22 intercept marks or something, wouldn't it? Like something. I think like... it's, it's, a, it's only 10 intercept marks. It's not intercept possessions. Oh, uh, so... I'm thinking, I think total marks. I think total marks is 22. Yeah. Intercepts yeah. is 11. Well, he might be on for 11. That might well be the case. Um, mm. uh, I'm tipping Essendon by 24 points. I think it's going to be a full goal margin. I think they're going to be up for this week because it's us. So we can't sort of underrate that. Uh, I think my crazy prediction, I think Zach will have 45 plus disposals. I think they're not going to be able to go with him on the outside. Uh, I don't know if that's too crazy. Um, he's never had... 45 before so um, i suppose that's the craziness of it um yeah. not many people have so um i wonder if with with zach we can put in a retrospective way to get his um his suspension from a few weeks back cancelled so he can be brownlow eligible again after um chera got off somehow. i think i think we just need to hire whoever carlton's lawyer is like that guy is he's had more wins than carlton had this year um but <laughs> Uh, he's doing a good job. All right. Well, that will wrap us up uh, for this week. Uh, Kit, thanks again for jumping on. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you as always. No, thanks. Great to be back and, and chat with you blokes. And yeah, hopefully, you know, our predictions aren't showing up to be too optimistic. 
after Sunday afternoon. Uh, Bonta, thanks again for jumping on. Good to see you again this week. Pleasure as always, mate. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week. Thanks for listening to the Bombercast uh, Round 12 edition. Uh, make sure that you like, subscribe, and tell your essence supporting mates. Uh, good luck this week. Go Bombers. <laughs>